Hello, everyone, and welcome to Monday Night Raw. Man, what are we talking about? Right, right, and wrong. Come on, man, what are we talking about? Right, right, and wrong. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> Whoa. Corn Pop was a bad dude. <laughs> Whoa. Come on, man. What are we talking about? Right, right, and wrong. Ooh, on, welcome to the Right and Wrong Show. It's the show where we try to wake up the woke by talking common sense about the issues of the day. I'm your host, Brian Ruka, and with me as always is my man Juice, the Juice Box, or the Truth Box, as he's been calling himself these days on the web. It's great to be here with our loyal fan base for the first time at the beginning of the week. Yeah, it is a Monday, and uh, I'm riding pretty high. It feels great to be here on a Monday with you guys. I don't know if we're just... uh, if we're just up there riding high juice because of those two big W's that our Boston Bruins had over the weekend in their playoff series against the Carolina Hurricanes to even things up at two games apiece. I'm definitely pretty excited about that. <laughs> Hopefully no one out there has accused you of having a case of the Mondays, as they say. But if so, thankfully, you're ready to put that all behind you and have some fun with your boys from Dorchester. Dorchester? <laughs> Uh-oh. Sounds like somebody's got a case of the Mondays. <laughs> well, we got a great show lined up for you, and I think you guys are going to love it this week. We will dive in and look at uh, what would <laughs> what would make a judge be considered an extremist. We'll try and figure out why the Attorney General's office just created the Office of Environmental Justice. We'll revisit that time when the Queen of Boston, Mayor Mandate Michelle Wu herself, created an ordinance to prevent people from protesting outside her house. Wonder how Queen Wu feels about these left-wing extremists protesting outside the homes of justices in an attempt to scare them into changing their vote. What do you think, Juice? And in that come on, man, segment of the day, we'll meet Anna Kasparian, an unhinged leftist who just wants Democrats to ask a question. But before we jump into everything, I'd like to give a few shout outs to some of the fans out there in the right and wrong community. Yeah, that's right. Frankie in the neck, Cibola in Bama, Mum down the skit, Steak and Cheese over in North Reading, Matthew and Dot, Chris in Danvers, and Bill and Carolyn up there in the live free or die state. Thank you all so much for your loyal support. We're definitely going to need everybody's help, though, getting the word out there that uh, the Right and Wrong Show will now be posting full episodes. Yes, that's right. Full episodes on YouTube, Rumble, and Locals. Me and my man Juice, we're pretty excited uh, to try and stop building those followers up on those those channels as well. So we can't do it alone, but please, please, please help us out. Tell a friend about the show. Look us up on those networks. Subscribe if you can. Shoot us a like and a comment. All that stuff helps, okay? And I can promise you guys this one. I can promise this and I can hold myself to it. If you follow us on Rumble, YouTube, or Locals and you actually leave us a comment, hopefully it's a nice one, but if you give us a comment on Rumble, YouTube, or Locals, then I will guarantee you that i will include you in the shout outs for next week's show take that one to the bank that's a promise from your host 
Mr. Brian Ruka. All right, Truth Box, that's enough plugging away. What do you think? Think it's time to pass things over to uh, our buddy, Mr. Ric Flair? I do. All right. All right, Flair, take it away, because it is showtime, baby. Woo! Showtime! Woo! Woo! All right, so Juice, I want to uh, get into the story here that's pretty near and dear to my heart. You guys all know here on this show that my passion for um, Catholicism has been reignited back in uh, maybe September, October or so. And I've told you here plenty of times it's been life changing. And one of the great joys of coming back and uh, having a better perspective on things, being a little bit more mature, just a little bit more mature, is being able to uh, really, really focus on what's being taught and focus on the words and the teaching and what Jesus shows us in the Gospels, the realization that it's about so much more than the things that we, you know, cling to as as humans, the 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 stuff that we desire and want and care about here on Earth. That's the stuff that gets in our way. That that blocks our faith. That's the type of stuff that can be be easily manipulated, can be corrupted. That's the stuff that that Satan is happy about. That's the stuff that Satan gets himself involved in. You know, the temptations of uh, just everyday life. And it hits really, really close to home here because for the past year now, the parish that I belong to, it's called St. Martin de Porres Parish. And it's it's a group that that used to be two separate entities. It used to be St. Brendan's and St. Anne's. And they combined years ago uh, back in 2018-ish, because both churches were on the verge of being closed. Both um, both spots had had dwindling numbers, dwindling interest. There's just a, an extreme lack of faith and, and lack of engagement, I would say, in general throughout the country. And it just is hitting home for everybody. Here in Boston, there'd, there'd be a, a Catholic church every 15 steps, maybe. It's like you see about a, a, a Catholic church as often as you see a trash barrel at Disney World. Now that people have gone away from the faith and now that uh, the younger families, you know, I put myself in that same category here. Now that we're not as engaged as uh, generations before us, the inevitability of, of churches closing and parishes folding is upon us. This one is especially frustrating to me because uh, I, you know, since I've come back and reignited that that faith. It's been a blast going to church, listening um, to the to the teachings, really trying to bring it into my everyday life, uh, bringing my children to it, engaging as a family. But uh, on the flip side of it, it's also been disheartening to see an entire community become so passionate over something that shouldn't be as important as it is. I'm sorry if that's controversial, but at the end of the day, I would go to church in in someone's backyard if that was where we were going to worship for the day. I think we it, it's so entitled to be as to be as aggravated as the community that I'm around, as the community that I live in is over a building being closed. The frustrating part for me is is I love and I want Catholicism to to stay engaged and to spread and to grow, 
But I, I really do question whether the people that are this passionate about a building have that same thought in mind. I think it's, uh, it's kind of a theme we're going to see throughout the episode you're listening to is there's a whole group of people in the world today that just stomp their feet and, and cry and, and yell and scream and complain if they don't get their way. I can't do it justice, this entire story, in, in, a, in a small segment like this, but this church has been on the verge of closing for about 10 years now. And every time it's about to, to have the trigger pulled on it, all of a sudden everyone comes out of the woodwork in, in stages, demonstrations, or talks about how important the, uh, the, the church and the building is to their community. But nobody is there engaging uh, regularly. It's only when it's on the verge of being taken away from them that everybody all of a sudden cares about it so much. They could be every you can make every excuse uh, you want about it, but reality is reality, and it is what it is. I mean, we have eyeballs; we can see, we know what it's like. I mean, it's it, how frustrating must it be for the pastor, um, <laughs> Father Chris, that is public enemy number one in the neighborhood these days. How frustrating must it be for a guy like that to come in here and be here for about 10, 11 months and just be treated with such disrespect and ridicule all because a building's going to be closed. But a week ago, we have uh, a first communion ceremony and the church was standing room only. There were people showing up, putting sweatshirts down and, and jackets down to hold spaces in the church to like, like they're at uh, an all-inclusive resort trying to grab a seat by the pool. <laughs> but if you can get that many people to come out to First Communion, why aren't that many people going every Sunday? And it's because they, they don't prioritize it anymore. And the frustrating thing for me is that you see it all over Facebook. Like I said, last week when, when the communions were being made, all these families want to take these pictures in the white dress and the white suit and put it up there and have their party. But do they really, are they really passing on the, the, the faith to those children? Is that what's happening or is it just, are they just going through the motions? And again, pot calling the kettle black here, ladies and gentlemen. I got both of my kids baptized, and, and we did the whole thing too, and that was the only day we were in church that entire year. So why did why are we doing these things? Why are we going through with the sacraments and the steps if we really don't care and don't believe in what's being taught and told to us? It's all for appearances. It's not for what what it should be for. And I know I'm repeating myself, but the building shouldn't matter. I understand that there's nostalgic reasons for wanting it to be there. We all have stuff like that. But what's more important, one little tiny neighborhood here in Boston in one building or the lack of faith in Christianity and, and Catholicism in the world? Wouldn't your pas passion and dedication and... um and desire be served so much more by just getting more people invested, involved in, in coming to church every week. You want to rally the troops and, and get everyone out there for hold a standout because you think the building's going to be closed. But why can't you rally the troops and get people 
to come and be involved and, and care about the church because it's hard. It's not easy. It's not easy to have faith. It's not easy to believe in God and to actually believe in what Jesus said and taught. It's not easy to live that and to practice that. Believe me, it's not easy for me either. I'm not, I'm not doing it myself. I wish I was better at it. I try. I really do. And that's all we can do. But to, to take our aggression out on a priest just because he's here and, and the building's closing, that's not on him, ladies and gentlemen. That's on the people who have lived here their whole lives who care so much about this building. It's not, it's not the, guys, the guy who's been here for 11 months, 10 months. It's not his fault. So I think we need to do a little bit of looking in the mirror. But at this church, there was a, there was a standout, I guess is what it was called, to, um, to you know, rate, hold signs and get the news stations down there to do a story about it. And here's a couple clips that, um, that I pulled from that story. We are here. We, we want to continue to grow in faith, um, and we want to work with you, and we want to do this together and be a success, a success story for the Archdiocese. It's kind of like from cradle to grave, from baptism to funerals and everything in between, life events. Uh, you know, it means everything to us here. And, you know, in Dorchester, I think uh, all our neighborhoods are kind of recognized by the parishes that we live and grew up in. Did you hear that? You hear, you hear that? That sums it up right there. I know he's trying to make that sound like it's like, uh, like that's a that's a win in uh, in his column, I guess. But it's baptism to communion to to weddings and, and funerals. That's what it's all about for the for the people in this neighborhood here. It's not about God. It's not about Jesus. It's not about faith. It's about the photo op for the baptism. It's about the communion pictures that we talked about. It's about being able to have your kid get married at the same place you got married at. And it's about trying to it's about having a funeral at the place that you that your parents went to. And again, I get being nostalgic about it. The faith is about so much more than where your sacraments were were performed at. I don't know how else to say it. There's a difference between want and need. You know, my my first grader learn that lesson and and she's so proud of herself for being able to understand the differences between it. And I think there's an entire uh section here in Dorchester that needs needs to rethink some of that. There's a difference between wanting the building to be open and wanting to be able to do the same things you've done for the past 40 years and a difference between the need for that. And unfortunately, without the tradition being passed on from generation to generation, that need is not here anymore. The same thing can be done for this community and for this parish in one church, in one building. So instead of letting it drive a wedge and continue to push people away, why not use it as a wake-up call and a rallying thing to bring more people back instead of just being mean and in nasty to the person who's trying to lead and trying to be realistic in a time of sadness and hurt. All right, so all we've been hearing about this past week is that the Supreme Court has a majority of far-right extremists on the bench. 
it makes me wonder what the left considers to be extreme. You know what I mean, Juice? Is it really that extreme for the Supreme Court to decide to return an issue to the will of the voters? Is it? Of course not. It's actually upholding the structure of government that we created, that was created by our founding fathers. The next time you hear the left scream and cry about far-right extremists, I want you to hear the voice of Inigo Montoya from The Princess Bride in your head. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. If you're curious what I'd consider to be extreme, I'd say it's pretty extreme for a federal judge to believe that it's okay to lie and be dishonest as long as the dishonesty is being done as an advocate. Remember that, advocate. And now take a listen to Nazrat Chadhara. I definitely butchered that. They're going to say it in the clip, hopefully, for us to save me. This was last week during her judicial confirmation process in front of the Senate. Juice, you want to fire that one up for us? Uh, in 2015, you were on a panel at Princeton University. Um, you said that uh, the killing of unarmed black men by police happens every day in America. Did you say that? Senator, I don't recall the statement, but it is something I may have said in that context. You, you think it happens every single day? Senator, I believe in that in that statement, I was making a comment in my role as an advocate, and I was engaging in rhetorical advocacy, which... Uh, uh, uh. There she goes. Her role as an advocate, <laughs> engaging in rhetorical advocacy. Listen to that right off the bat. Police murdering unarmed black men and. She might have been saying that rhetorically as in her role as an advocate. All right, I'll, I'll let them keep going. You believe that police officers kill unarmed black men every day in America? Senator, I believe the killing of unarmed citizens by law enforcement is tragic. And I believe in that instance. I think it's I tragic was... too. But do you believe, this is a really simple question, Counselor, do you believe that cops kill unarmed black men in America every single day. You said it at Princeton. Senator, I said it in my role as an advocate. Oh, okay. You didn't mean it. <laughs> I love that. That's uh, Senator Kennedy from um, Louisiana, I believe. But I love how he jumps right in there on her. And, and this, the, the, this woman here, she reeks of, like, academic privilege that she's grown up with. And, and we're going to, I'm, I'm jumping ahead of the gun a little bit here, but you're going to hear where she went to school, all the places, Princeton, Yale, uh, I think Harvard as well. And the arrogance that she has out there. I said that in my role as an advocate. Like that's supposed to make a difference. <laughs> you're out there. I, I think that's almost, it's either just as bad, if not worse, where you're out there advocating to people that are looking up to you when you're going to talk to uh, law students at Princeton and, and you're giving them this false ideology, this false uh, belief in the world and the system that we live in. And, and you're proud of that? Get out of here. So, so when you say something that's, that's incorrect, it's okay to excuse it by saying, oh, I was being an advocate? What do you believe? Do you personally believe that cops kill unarmed black men every single day in America? Senator, I believe law enforcement have an important and challenging job in this country. That's not what you said, though, Counselor. 
Senator, I say before you here today that I do believe law enforcement have a difficult and challenging job, and I also understand the difference I, I just between- think that's an extraordinary statement to make with no data to back up. Agreed. Agreed. And you, you notice how she, she likes to play that little tap dance, too. I say here to you in this seat today, um, in, in whatever nonsense she's spouting off there, but she's going to try and, and have it both ways here. So, okay, you're going to say that in your spot today um, because you're under oath and you're being grilled by a senator. You're going to try to walk it back a little bit. But the second you walk out the door and you're around uh, people of your own ilk, then you're going to go right back to saying this garbage nonsense that is completely fabricated and is helping stoke the uh, division that's in this country at the moment. Unbelievable. Absolutely ridiculous. And she's going to sit there like that. And uh, do you do you trust that person? <laughs> do you if, if you're a cop? I, I know plenty of cops out there. If you're a cop in in you have to struggle with a defendant and, and God forbid you uh, kill them or, or seriously injure them throughout the course of that arrest. And now that case goes in front of somebody like her. How comfortable are you going to feel about that? Ugh. All right, let's go back to it, Juice. No, none whatsoever. There's no basis for you saying that. And you knew it then and you know it now. Correct. How can someone possibly believe that you're going to be unbiased on the federal bench? We can't. Senator, I believe my record shows that I have worked collaboratively with law enforcement in Boston, Chicago, Mississippi, and Milwaukee to solve complex problems to promote constitutional, effective, and safe Your record shows that you believe cops are guilty until proven innocent. Your record shows that if a cop, if, 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 if a uh, cop shoots a criminal, it's the cop's fault. And if a criminal shoots a cop, it's the gun's fault. I've read your record. I've read your record, Ms. Murrell, and I don't appreciate you not answering the question straight up. I would respect you a lot more if you'd just tell us what you believe and not try to hide it. <laughs> yep. Um, I mean, I guess I can I can agree with that last point. I still wouldn't respect her if she told us uh, what she actually believes, because it's just complete utter nonsense. But uh, he nailed it there at the end with the with the uh, a cop is guilty until proven innocent if they if they <laughs> if they injure or harm somebody in the course of an arrest and uh, that criminal is going to be. Uh, it's going to be blamed on the gun or, or the uh, systemic racism in the country or, or whatever other thing they want to throw out there to uh, try and make excuses for people's poor decision making. She can sit there and advocate all she wants. But in my role as a podcaster and an advocate while podcasting, I'm going to tell you that you're a loony and you are going to cause a lot more problems than um than 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 solving problems while you're on the bench my friend it's no surprise to me that we get somebody like this um who can't can't just a- answer simple questions it, it's not a surprise to me at all because there's some pretty key qualities and uh and and reasons why she's being nominated for the position she's being nominated in and why don't we just let um, Chuck Schumer tell us? He'll he'll let us know what qualities made her stand out from the rest of the crowd and, and why she is uh, going to be a good fit for the gig. So 
why don't we why don't we hear what what Chucky has to say about this? Miss Chaudhry would make history as the first Bangladeshi American, the first Muslim American woman, and only the second Muslim American ever to serve as a federal judge. This is a great milestone, Mr. Chairman and my colleagues. I believe that our courts are at their strongest when they mirror the richness and dynamism of our democracy. And there are many Bangladeshis coming into New York and to the United States. And when when the young children see Ms. Chaudhry on the bench, God willing, they will know that America welcomes them and that they can achieve great things too. So it's a great day for the whole country. As a graduate of Columbia, Princeton, Yale Law School, Ms. Chaudhry forged her legal career precisely in New York City. She worked with the ACLU for over a decade, working with the National Security Project and the Racial Justice Program. She dedicated her career to protecting the rights of the downtrodden and making sure that all people can have their voices heard in the courts of law. From the imp- from the privileged to the impoverished. Oh, sorry, Columbia. I, I I gave credit to Harvard instead of instead of Columbia when I when I gave out her credentials earlier. That's <laughs> Columbia, Princeton, and Yale. Um, yeah, that that's where that's where she learned this uh, incredible worldview that she holds. I noticed that uh, Chuck Schumer never uses words like integrity, honest, principled, moral. He didn't bother to try and tell us that Nazrat is a woman with a strong character instead of focusing on traits that are 100% within an individual's own control. Schumer spent his time highlighting all of Miss Chaudhry's traits that were 1,000% completely out of her control. Like the, the left is obsessed with credentialing everybody. That's why they got to tell you where they went to school. They got to that's why Dr. Jill needs to be called Dr. Jill because she wants you to respect the fact that she has a credential. Just show me why I should respect you. Tell me why I should respect you. Let your actions speak louder than your credentials, you jackasses. Unbelievable with these people. How safe do you feel going in front of a judge like that? Someone no problem at all openly admitting that they don't mind lying, exaggerating, and, and spinning the truth if it's to advocate for some sort of worldview that they believe in. You want to know what else this this judge thinks? Why don't you, uh, Juice, you got this last clip from her? Listen to, to how she views the world in, in America specifically. This is not just a system that we need to reform, but one that really is a lens for viewing structural racial inequality, economic injustice, and deep-rooted problems that actually attack the core values of equal protection under the law and dignity for all people in this country. And that has to do with the fact that if we're going to have a conversation about racial and economic injustice in the criminal legal system, we must know and acknowledge that at the root of these injustices is deep-seated, implicit, and explicit bias against people of color. Um, that that kind of bias is real, it is recent, it is also long-standing, and that's a lot of what is an- animating these systems. But really, at the root of this series of issues we're going to talk about is the fact that there's racial injustice. We know that. We know a lot of the criminal legal system was created to perpetuate or enable that. And you want to talk about extreme? I think those views that uh, that that she's openly happy to talk about 
as long as she's not under oath in front of the Senate. I think those views are very extreme. And you want to sit there and say the right are the, are the ones with the extremists on the bench? Yeah. Oh, okay. You didn't mean it. All right. Have you heard about this new department that's going to be under the attorney general's office? Yeah, it's called the environmental justice like department or some BS like that. Why don't we let the attorney general himself, Mr. Merritt Garland, take it away for us and, and explain what this is going to be. I'm pleased to announce that we are launching the Justice Department's first ever Office of Environmental Justice to oversee and help guide the Justice Department's wide ranging environmental justice efforts. Like all parts of government, it will get its own acronym, OEJ. Might as well call it the OMG, because I can't believe this guy hasn't gotten uh, a swirly by anybody in the federal government yet. What a nerd this guy is, huh? How many wedgies do you think he had in high school? Merrick Garland. Thank God that guy's not on the Supreme Court. The OMG department trying to protect the, the earth. From the sun monster. Yeah, you really need law enforcement to, to run a environmental agency. Give me a break. And third, the Justice Department is issuing an interim final rule that will restore the use of an important law enforcement tool, supplemental environmental projects, subject to new guidelines and limitations that I will also be issuing today. Administrator Regan and I know that the communities most impacted by environmental harm are not isolated in any one part of our country. Environmental crime and injustice touch communities in all our cities, towns, rural areas, and on tribal lands. Yep, yep. Sorry, Chief Warren. It happens on uh, tribal lands, too. Sorry. I guess we're definitely going to back this one up then. We didn't mean to to mess with your with your crew there. I know you're the uh, the the chief Warren here in Massachusetts. So I, I guess we'll let him continue. Although violations of our environmental laws can happen anywhere, communities of color, indigenous communities, and low income communities often bear the brunt of the harm caused by environmental crime, pollution, and climate change. Oh man, I can't wait till uh next time to star cross the lovers are are in the uh, on a nice stroll through the woods or out on a lover's lane somewhere, and, and they pull out a little little pocket knife to carve in, you know, their initials with a heart around it on on a tree. All of a sudden, Merrick Garland and his uh, whole department here—they're going to swarm in from the sky, helicopters, six or seven cruisers coming in. You just committed environmental injustice. You just committed an environmental act of terrorism. Lock them up. Take them out of here. They include communities, fence line communities, where exposure to toxic air pollutants have caused scores of cancer-related deaths. They include communities where students have been exposed to harmful emissions from boilers in their public schools. They include communities where infectious diseases have spread because of inadequate wastewater management. And for far too long, these communities have faced barriers to accessing the justice they deserve. In partnership with EPA, our new OEJ. Oh, man, in partnership with the EEJ, our new OGY, our new blah, blah, blah. 
I can't take it anymore. This guy's putting me to sleep. Sorry, I hope I hope I maybe got you the chuckle here or there, because that's the only way I can get through this nonsense. Why don't we shift gears and, and hear from the uh, the woman that they tapped to be in charge of this new department, the old environmental justice office. Her name's uh, Gina McCarthy, and she's a fellow Bostonian or Massachusettsian, and, 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 like I am. <laughs> so uh, I hear her laying on that Boston accent, and it just makes me cringe and get even more self-conscious about my own. <laughs> Might you take it away, Gina? Because we have solutions today. We have solutions that can deliver. We're, gonna, we're actually going to do 100 rules this year alone on appliances. Oh, 100 rules this year alone. Nothing like government red tape for you, huh? Oh, you want to go buy a new refrigerator? I'll fill out this 58-page form and see if the uh, government will, will allow you to do that or not. Just like you asked. We are developing partnerships on how we work together for new building standards, even for sustainable airlines. Who'd have thunk that they'd be all in, but they better be or they're going to be out of here, right? Wow, that's a big threat from the new um, head of the Environmental Justice Office, huh? Wonder why this department needs to have the authority of uh, the Attorney General's office behind them. You think it'll be able to go in there and, and subpoena airlines now hmm is that what it's all about what do you think she gonna come here talking all tough with her big bad boston accent telling these airlines they gotta get out of here we're gonna get you right out of here you better comply you better comply with what i say or see you later you stinking airline you're damn right get out of here wow these people are tapped, yet the right are the extremists. Biden and the progressive nut jobs that run his administration are creating an environmental justice department that's going to go around and bully airlines, American, the American public, uh, automobile makers into going along with their nonsense environmental whack job plans and if they don't then they're going to use the full force of the law enforcement wing of the attorney general's office wow good luck to us out there man good luck i know uh obviously one of these biggest stories that will not go away, uh, and I don't think it's going to go away for a long time, is this leaked document that came out from the Supreme Court um, where it looks like they're going to be sending the issue of abortion back to the states. Now, we've talked a lot about it on this show, but over the weekend, some of the justices had massive amounts of protests in, in extreme far-left protesters outside of their residential homes. I think um, Justice Alito actually had his family, his whole family was relocated to an undisclosed uh, area because it was so harmful and vicious and threatening outside of his home. It just made me think that not too long ago, the queen tyrant mask mandator here in Massachusetts, Queen Wu, actually created an 
a brand new ordinance throughout the city of Boston that would limit ability to protest outside an elected official's house. So I'm just curious. I, you know, I haven't heard a thing from Queen Wu condemning these extreme left wingers for their aggressive protesting outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices. These are unelected judges that are not supposed to be answerable to the people. Mayors, like herself, are answerable to the voters, to their people. But anyways, I'm curious if she happened to um, you know, comment on that, because if she did, I haven't seen it. I will remind you what she had to say about the people that were affecting her, the people that were outside of her home. You got that clip juice that I that 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 we got? You found that one, right? So this was her back in January when she was asked this was before she even made the ordinance, but this was when she was asked by a reporter about protesters outside of her house. So why don't we hear directly from the queen? It's it, it's a little hard to hear her because she's idiotically standing there with a mask over her face doing a press conference. But it's all about all about the image, right? Take it away, queen. So, um it's it's been a pretty regular occurrence 7 a.m um our we're joined by a, a crowd outside with megaphones and i am uh, you know I've, I've been in politics for a long time in boston i uh have never once backed down from a position or an issue because people are yelling or or getting loud uh, i think it's important as the tone and intensity of misinformation and rhetoric ramps up across our country in politics to note what this means on a human level for people who are living through it. And again, I am, um, I am used to this. Unfortunately, many women of color serving in positions of leadership are used to this. Wait, wait, wait. so this only happens to, to women of color. I wonder how Amy Coney Brat feels about that. Um, but I live in a two family home on a residential street. My next door neighbor is a 96 year old veteran who deserves to have his sleep in the morning. There are many, many families on our street who have young kids who are getting woken up by hateful messages and loud uh, words being broadcast down our street and beyond over megaphones. Um, I am eager to engage with residents in the many decisions that we're making. And I know now is an incredibly stressful time. It is a scary time. It is an exhausting time for all of us. Um, so I'm, I'm, you know, I think it's important to shed a light on where we are as a country, that there is deeply rooted misinformation that we need strong policies to counteract. And every day I'm reminded of that at my house. And every day it makes me sure that Boston needs to lead the way on these policies. But it's more about the complete changing of the rules to protect herself from protesters outside of her house and the the crickets when you uh when it comes to denouncing the extreme left in this country that's outside judges' houses doing the same thing that that she was so bothered by. If if you ask Queen Wu about it, you might hear something like this. Juice, you got you got like some like like a little cricket bit or something you can play, like something, maybe. I guess that'll do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. We can we can work with that. <laughs> um 
I mean, it's just that that's the left in a nutshell. They have no problem being extreme if it's for a cause that they believe in. And if anybody goes against what they believe in, if anybody wants to advocate against them or their policies, then it's just extremism. It's uh, it's racism. It's it's attacking um, women. It's attacking democracy. Uh, any buzzword they want to use. But bottom line, end of the day, it's okay for them to do it because their reasons are justified and it's not okay to do it. And it's not okay to do it in opposition of them. It's just the left's hypocrisy on full display now. You know, the same crew who we've talked about it a million times here, the Maxine Waters of the world who want to get up in everybody's face and be angry and, and, Get out there and, and whoever whoever said protests were supposed to be peaceful, all that stuff again. Now that it's because the federal government isn't going to decide to allow women to murder their babies, now it's completely justifiable to do all that stuff again. You know, the people who were so appalled about the horn hat guy on January 6th, all of a sudden, now... It's okay to stake out judges' houses, stake out the homes of judges, because, you know, our democracy is threatened here, when in fact, the ruling is actually going to reinstore democracy back to the country, back to the states where it belongs, back to the people, back to the voters. So all these people that are that passionate, that want to scare and intimidate the judges, just advocate. Go do your thing. You guys love being advocates. Go out there and get enough votes all over the place. Rally enough people to uh, to agree with your point of view. And, and that's what it's all about. Okay? So, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe instead of passing a whole ordinance to get people removed from protesting outside of your house early in the morning or late at night, Queen Wu, maybe you could have made a deal with them and just taken a few deep breaths into your brown paper bag to make sure you didn't have a panic attack and uh, mosey on out, crack your knuckles, and play a little bit of piano for for the crowd. That might have been able to to take the temperature down a bit and uh, let you guys then discuss things like civilized, grown adults that we are. <laughs> but you don't want to do that. I know you don't. You just you want to grandstand, and you want to play the victim when it suits you, and then you want to play the uh, lover of democracy in America in this country when uh, it suits your narrative as well. So no surprise at all that I haven't heard a lick of uh, condemnation from the old mayor here in Boston about these violent extreme leftists that are outside of the homes of Supreme Court justices. Ladies and gentlemen, well, it's that time of the day, that very special moment in the show when you guys get to hear from someone that's absolutely crazy and uh, me and Juice get to give them a big old fat, come on, man. So today's uh, target, I guess, is going to be a woman by the name of Anna Kasparian. And she works, uh, I think she does like a kind of like a news show type of thing. I'm not sure exactly where it is. It's called Young Turks. Like I said, I don't know if it's just like uh, on a streaming thing or or where exactly it is, but she is uh, 
completely like rational, reasonable, and professional. Delivers the news and and makes it eloquent, coherent, and um, very informative. So I guess without further ado, <laughs> why don't we go to uh, Miss Kasparian and see what she had to say the day that the leak came out about the Supreme Court possibly overturning Roe versus Wade. So why don't you take it away, Anna? We don't even have affordable child care in this freaking country. Okay, and the people who fight against those kinds of laws are Republicans. And yet... What do you want them to do with their kids when they have to go to work? What do you want them to do? What do you want them to do? I want them to answer that freaking question. Answer the question. Journalists, ask them the question. Ask them. Ask them. Isn't it amazing? Ask them. The goddamn question. God. Isn't it amazing that not one Democrat has shown 1% of the passion that Anna has today? They don't care. They don't care. They're fine. They're all so old, they don't even have to worry about it affecting them. And if they're young enough where it would affect them, they'll get their abortion. They're going to fly to Paris. They're trading individual stocks, enriching themselves. They're good. They're good. They don't care about you. Make sure you understand that and you feel it in your bones. They don't care about you at all. All of that fundraising, all of that canvassing, all of that hard work on the ground, they can't even get a voting rights bill passed. They're losers. What's the question? Can you, can you ask the question? Ask, ask the question. Will you ask them the question? Just ask the question already. Wow, you you guys want to want to talk about <laughs> extremists and uh, delusional? Wow, that right there is is uh, somebody who needs some serious help. Love to see what her blood pressure looks like. She needs to to take a deep breath. Um, understand that in the world we have these things called conversations maybe maybe the vice president can explain it to her maybe dumb it down a little bit for her but screaming ranting and raving like a lunatic into a screen and making weird faces is uh is not going to change anything and you notice how like you you almost at the beginning like you feel like you're going to like possibly feel bad maybe for Give her the benefit of the doubt because um, obviously we know abortion is a pretty hot topic, hot button topic for everybody. For uh, for some reason, mostly young working females. But because that's such a, a hot topic, maybe just maybe some people would be able to um, shrug that off. But then she goes and wraps in voting rights and all this, that and the other thing. And she don't give a damn about people's voting rights. All she cares about is getting her way. And if she doesn't get it, she's going to stomp. She's going to turn all blue and red in the face. She's going to throw the papers off the desk and um, just rant and rave about it. That's kind of her thing. You can look her up, Anna Kasparian. And that's not the only time she's done this unhinged shtick that she likes to do. It was just, uh, (laughs) just thought that one was especially comical. Because she thinks, like, I don't know if she thinks that's effective or, or if it's, like, if it's funny or I don't really know what she's going for. But 
it just comes across as um, psychotic, uh, crazy, unhinged, unstable, unreasonable, uneducated. That's that's the product of someone who's never been taught to hash out your differences through conversation. That's somebody who has probably always gotten their way. And if she doesn't get her way, it's probably the, I'm going to take my, take my ball and go home routine. The old, uh, you know, playing a game, playing, playing a game on, um, on the computer or, or something, playing a game of solitaire and, and just quitting and restarting. If you stop beating her, she's going to throw the controller and, and turn the game off so that the game, so that it can't actually be completed. Yeah. She's just, um, a little bit of a psycho. I don't know on that one, but that's what we're dealing with here. That's the left, right? That that is the left in a in a nutshell. Again, I know I went with the nutshell analogy earlier. I'm gonna be Austin Powers over here. Hey, this is me in a nutshell. What am I doing in this giant shell? And how did I get here? <laughs> I guess I, I I gave enough to our friend there from Young Turks or whatever the hell it's called. I urge you, go ahead, look look her up. You'll have a field day seeing some of the other stuff that, that this lunatic's gone on and ranting and raving about. She doesn't care. She doesn't care. Ask her a question. Ask her a question. Ask her the question. Just ask her the question. What's the question? I got one for you. What's going to happen to you right about now on the Right and Wrong Show? You're going to get yourself one big, fat, classic. Come on, man. Boom. And that's what we got on the show today for you. Thanks for joining us for the first Monday edition of the Right and Wrong Show. Don't forget, find us on Rumble, YouTube, Locals. We need to start building out that community a little bit and uh, throw us a comment and you will get that shout out next week. Keep an eye out for me. I'm going to be posting this week on social media as well, where uh, my interview that I did with Chauncey Childs on the Home Education Today podcast should be dropping at some point this week. So I will uh, definitely get that info out there, let you guys know when that's going to be available. And uh, you got anything else, Juice? No? No? All right. I guess that's it for me, too, other than uh, thanks for having me. The Right and Wrong Show is produced by Juice. Executive producer, Juice. Audio mixer is Juice. Hair by Skull Shavers. Wardrobe and makeup by Ashley Ruka. Right and Wrong Song, created by Juice. The Right and Wrong Show is copyright 2022 from Brian Ruka.